This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Ryan Kennedy. We ain't got no Ken Campbell, so this is probably going to be a shorter podcast. Less Ken chatter, a lot of Matt, a lot of Ryan. And Ryan, we may as well jump right in because so much is going on with free agency. So we're going to talk Alex Petrangelo right off the bat. It happened Monday night. He signs for a seven-year deal, $8.8 million cap hit. And I'm just going to, I'm going to start you off this podcast just throwing the question at you that I asked online, which was, did Vegas give up too much in terms of the players they traded away or didn't resign to make room for Alex Petrangelo? I feel they did okay. I know that they lost some significant players. You know, Paul Stastny, second-line center, you know, very good player. Nate Schmidt, uh, you know, top four D-man. But I feel that when you look at free agency, you, you can't always look at it in those kind of like linear terms. Like you got Petrangelo, you feel he can be that game breaker that puts you over the top. And, and what you do is you, you have faith in your depth. You know, Vegas really hasn't had to use their pipeline at all as a franchise so far. And if they have to, now they have that option. You know, Cody Glass, can push for a roster spot if they need him. You have Nick Haig on the back end if you need him. You have Jack Dugan coming up as a very good power forward if you need him. And obviously these guys all being on entry-level deals, that helps you if you get into that cap crunch because obviously right now with Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Lehner under contract in net, you've got some cap issues right now and, and that's going to have to be solved. So you're going to have to dip into that pipeline. But I think with the high-end elements they now have with Petrangelo, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, and and underrated guys like Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault, I mean, they've given themselves a chance to be contenders pretty much every year so far in their existence. And this ups the ante. Okay. I, I'm going to disagree with you, but before I do, Stephen, I, I want a mic check here. I moved, My microphone was far away when we started this podcast. I forgot to move it close to my actual face. So, Stephen, tell me if you can hear me or send me a chat. Tell me if you can hear me better now. Waiting on Stephen, and he says it's good. good. So now I will disagree with Ryan. Um, I worry that if you, if you look, if you sort of do the mathematical equation, right, so we look at the, the bodies that Vegas had to get rid of. Nate Schmidt, of course, you know, top, top four defenseman, very fast skater, can play both sides. Paul Stastny, their number two center. Uh, even just, lead, you know, veteran leaders like, like Derek Engeland and Nick Cousins, who really emerged as a good agitator checking forward. Basically, Alex Pietrangelo has to be as good as all of those guys combined just for Vegas to break even. So I'm wondering now if you've weakened your depth too much, especially because, yes, you're bringing in the best free agent of the class, no doubt. All due respect to Taylor Hall, Petrangelo was the guy. But Vegas, you know, when Vegas was dominant in the playoffs, it was because they were a dominant possession team. They were smothering teams. Teams just couldn't get the puck off of them. So they're already, I think, really strong on the defensive side of the puck. And what they really needed was a number one center. That's what was missing. And not only did they still not have a number one center, they traded their number two center. And that puts a lot of pressure on Cody Glass. And I've, I've talked about this many times, but the way that Buffalo screwed up Casey Middlestat was forcing him up the depth chart and he wasn't ready. And now I worry you're going to do that to Cody Glass. Basically, and you're basically needing him to immediately be your, your number two center on opening night, the way the roster is structured right now, unless we see another trade from Vegas. So even though Petrangelo himself, amazing signing, he's going to be elite defensively for a couple more years, I, I worry that Vegas gave up too much. And especially because Robin Lehner got hurt, we now know shoulder surgery, and now we understand why Fleury couldn't be the sacrificial lamb. 
and it had to be you know Nate Schmidt. But I just I don't know. I don't know if Vegas is better because of what they lost. It, it'll be it'll be interesting. It's it's close. I think at least. Yeah, um, but, the one thing I will say is that you know the depth that we saw in Vegas, they they feel like they're very much a plug and play organization right now. They they've done so well in that regards where like they just grabbed Nicholas Waugh last year, plug him into the lineup. You know, there was a couple of guys like that where it's like that guy plays for Vegas and all of a sudden they're scoring winning goals in the playoffs. So I, I think that's the one advantage Vegas has is they have a system that works very well for them where they can just pluck guy or plunk guys in and they seem to have success. So that, that would be my sort of caveat. You know, I understand what you're saying, but I think that they have a system where like even Nick cousins, like Nick cousins, wasn't like a, like a big shot when he got to Vegas. Um, you know, you wonder, it's like, are they losing good guys or are guys that played well in their system leaving? Right. It's a good point. Yeah. The very fact that they found Nick Cousins means that they don't need to keep Nick Cousins almost, you know. And what I wonder, too, it's like, you know, you've seen teams like the Pittsburgh Penguins in Chicago in the previous decade. They had that model where they go top heavy and then they fill out the depth because they're so confident in their, their player development and it works. But the, the negative side of it is like the Leafs, for example. They try to do the same model. They're really top heavy and it hasn't helped. They're, they're too constrained by their, their big contracts. So you could either go the way of those teams, Pittsburgh, Chicago, or you could be another Leafs situation. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, so the other big name, of course, we mentioned Taylor Hall. He's a Buffalo Sabre. I don't know if anyone saw that one coming. I certainly did not have them even close to being the number one suitor for Hall, especially because he signed a one-year deal. It'd be one thing if he went there and was like, well, I want the security I signed in Buffalo for seven years. But the one-year deal was supposed to be the Marion Hossa Cup contender deal. It's one year in Buffalo. So my question to you, Ryan, uh, is why? Especially from Hall's perspective. It's understandable why the Sabres did it, but tell me why you think it's a fit for Taylor Hall. He's got 8 million reasons to go to Buffalo. You know, I mean, the one thing about the Sabres is they had the cap space that they could give him that large amount of money. Um, you know, this is a guy that he's getting into the sort of the, the final era of big money contracts. You know, obviously Taylor Hall has done fine for himself so far, but you know, if you're thinking about long-term paydays, you know, he's going to only have sort of a couple more contracts where he can really cash in depending on length, of course. So if you look at the situation right now, you know, flat cap, unexpected, not as much money in the system as, you know, initially anticipated. So, okay, you go for the one year big money deal, 8 million. And then I think, you know, what you sort of say, if you're Taylor Hall and, and, and his agent, uh, Darren Ferris is, okay, well, so that takes care of this year. Maybe next year is a flat cap as well. But then we start getting out of the woods with Seattle coming in. You know, obviously you hope that the pandemic will be done by then and you're getting 100% capacity in, in, in the arenas. So then you say to yourself, okay, well, next summer we can go to a team and say, let's do a deal where the cap hit isn't as drastic because we make it more long-term, um, but you structure it as such where it's not as much money next year as it maybe is the year after that, the year after that. Um, you know, getting to play with Jack Eichel is certainly, uh, you know, something that will help Hall. Um, you know, he's done well with good centers before, you know, like when he had Nico Heischer, when Heischer was a rookie, that was the year Hall won the Hart Trophy as MVP. And I remember talking to Hall that summer, he was like, I give a lot of credit to Nico Heischer for helping me get there. Mm -hmm. So if you put Hall with an elite center like Jack Eichel, 
there could be fireworks there. And it's an interesting experiment. I don't know if it makes Buffalo, you know, uh, a, a playoff contender, but uh, Hall gets paid, gets to play with a really good player, a really good center, and it gives him flexibility. Yeah, I think you make good points. And I think you could argue that it's the best situation Hall's ever been in, in terms of quality uh, of linemate. And what I mean is, you know, Hall, of course, was an Edmonton Oiler, but McDavid's rookie season, that's when they overlapped for a short amount of time. And, you know, McDavid was hurt that year, 1560, right? So by the time Hall, the time McDavid was, was going supernova, Hall was a New Jersey devil. So it's not like he really got the McDavid experience. And Jack Eichel in his prime is an upgrade over Nico Heischer. And, and Taylor Hall had 93 points playing with Heischer. So it's entirely possible he has a career year. So I, I think I understand it financially. You're still getting paid a, a pretty good sum from a Buffalo team that clearly the Pagulas are they're going aggressive. We knew that when they fired Jason Bonnerill. They want to appease Eichel. So they're bringing in a big fish. I assume he's going to get a chance to play with Eichel. That makes sense. And, and I think, you know, Hall is saying all the right things. He's saying, you know, I could see myself landing here, landing here long term and other players root for Buffalo as a market. I still think he's hedging his bets and it's win-win for him. If Buffalo struggles, they'll trade him. They'll trade him at the deadline and then he'll get a chance to go to a contender anyways. And he'll be, you know, a rental. And, and I think if it really works out and he makes magic with Eichel, then maybe he does stay. So I, I see it as win-win. The more I think about it, I don't know if I'm just talking myself into it, but I, I think it's a, a pretty smart decision business-wise for Taylor Hall. Um, so let's look more big picture. I want to know, you know, we've written, of course, we have on the website, winners and losers, but a lot has happened just over the past few days, over the weekend. So give me your biggest winner team of free agency so far and why. I'm going to go with the Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, when, when I look at free agency in the offseason, like, I don't want teams to be too dramatic. You know, I, I want them to fill needs. And Montreal, you know, their big need you know, coming off their, their postseason berth was more talent on the wings. So they make the trade to get Josh Anderson, who, you know, I mean, I, I think he can be a 30-goal guy. You know, he was trending that way before he got hurt. But really what he gives them is a power forward, a guy that can stick up for his teammates and make a difference that way. But then they go out and they get Tyler Toffoli, who is a skill guy who can give them, you know, a more dynamic presence on the wing you know, you're obviously banking on your young centers uh, continuing to take steps. Nick Suzuki, Jesperi Kakanyemi, and then obviously you have Philip Deneau, who is your, your two-way guy. You've got Carey Price in net. You know, I think the defense is, is looking pretty decent right now. So I, I like what Montreal did. They didn't um, take a lot of risks. Um, you know, I guess Anderson is a big contract, so that's kind of a risk because he is a, you know, a big dude that is coming off a shoulder injury. But, you know, you, you gave up Max Domi. I don't think that was like a huge loss for them. So I, I like what Montreal did because Mark Bergevin looked at a certain need and he filled it. Good pick. Uh, it's weird. My pick is strange. It's the Detroit Red Wings. And it's like, I'm not saying Detroit has vaulted itself into playoff contention. It certainly has not. But it has vaulted itself back to being an NHL team. Whereas last year, I, you know, people will say they weren't tanking. Yes, they were. They were keeping all of their best players in the minors, and I, I don't fault them for it. It was smart. They didn't want to waste their best players. They wanted to let them develop, and also they were keeping an inferior team at the NHL level on purpose. They had the worst season since the 99-2000 Atlanta Thrashers, but I like what you saw Steve Eisman do. So I even wrote a little list of all these veteran guys he brought in, Vladimir Mesnikov, Bobby Ryan, Mark Stahl, Thomas Grice, Troy Stetcher, John Merrill. So 
there's there's a lot that you gain by bringing in this sort of this giant pack of veteran free agents. They're short-term deals. They're all one or two-year deals. The one-year guys, that means they're easy to flip at the trade deadline. The two-year guys like Troy Stetcher, that could be expansion draft bait as well. Uh, and so, so that makes sense if the wings are going to still be bad. But what I really like about it now is that it creates competition for the cohort of young guys. So, you know, guys like Mort Sider and Joe Valeno, the next generation of players that they have coming up. Now they can't just be handed roster spots. They have to fight through some good, you know, if not sort of replacement level guys to make the team. And I think that's the ideal situation for the Red Wings because you want your young guys to earn their way. I really believe in that. If young guys, if rookies earn their way onto the team with merit, then they're really NHL ready as opposed to just being gifted spots. So I, I just think Eiserman, he's starting to build something. It's going to take a long time, but you can just see the gears turning now. And I, I have faith that he's, he's going to do something wise and keep doing it. Um, so let's hear your loser team. Who do you have so far as a team that's just like, ah, come on. I'm, I'm going to go with Vancouver. You know, I, I kind of had high expectations for the Canucks because they looked like they were on the cusp of becoming contenders after their nice run uh, with Thatcher Demko, you know, once Jacob Markson got hurt in the playoffs. And, you know, you, you went into this offseason, you said, okay, they need to re-sign to Foley. They need to make a decision on Markstrom. They probably need to resign Chris Tanev. None of that happened. And they lost Troy Stetcher as well. So, you know, you get Braden Holtby and it's like, okay, yeah, you know, maybe he reinvents himself as kind of a 1B guy, supports Thatcher Demko. That's all well and good. And, okay, you, you get Nate Schmidt. You, know, you kind of luck out that Vegas, Vegas really needed to move Nate Schmidt. But I just felt like Vancouver didn't get better, and I, I was expecting them to get better. It feels like they're treading water right now. And if you look at Vegas and Colorado, um, for example, those are teams that I feel are kind of head and shoulders above the rest of the West right now. And then you have teams like Dallas and Calgary that you'd say, like, okay, I probably don't want to play them in a playoff series right now. Um, I, I just felt like Vancouver was poised to take another step and instead they, they lost all their guys. And that, that to me was uh, a little disappointing. Okay. I'm going to go to the other conference in uh, Philly. Philly is a team that even a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to someone just about, you know, I always start getting a hunch around this time of year. Well, not this time of year, this time of the off season. So obviously it's, it's July quote unquote right now, but I, I start to get a hunch of like who I think, the cup winner is going to be last year. That was Tampa. So we got, and we all had that hunch, right. Uh, and I was starting to get a feeling of like, uh, I think that Philly might be the team that's going to go all the way, at least to reach the final in the East. I like the progress they made and Carter Hart's becoming a true number one goalie and their defense is so improved under LA Mignot. And then of course, Matt Niskanen with the surprise retirement and I'm thinking, okay, well, and Ken, you know, Ken talked about it on the last podcast we did, which is, well, maybe they take a run at Pietrangelo. And it's like, okay, maybe it could be a good thing. But now, you know, we're a few days into free agency and their biggest move, they brought in Eric Gustafson, who, you know, offensively, he's an upgrade over Matt Niskanen, but not defensively. And, you know, you have good puck movers on that blue line already. And I'm like, that's it. That's what Hall Philly's really done. They haven't made a major signing. And I was hoping that they would recognize that this is a year to make a push. Because I think you're seeing teams like the Penguins that are sort of in decline. Maybe Washington's window is closing in that division too or starting to. And I, I thought it was Philly's time to start ascending. It still might be, but I'm just surprised that they've done so little. I was expecting them to take a run. It's not too late. Maybe they still will. But so far, I'm like, yeah, Philly, come on. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned Colorado's head and shoulders above the rest. So that makes me kind of wonder, 
are they your Stanley Cup frontrunner? That was my next question for you for our next topic, which is, you know, again, another thing I like to do is you look at the first few days of the offseason, you start perusing rosters and you decide, okay, who's positioned themselves as the on paper cup champion of 2021 right now. So who do you have as your number one contender at the moment? Yeah, for me, it's Colorado. And, you know, you look at what they have already, you look at the tremendous injuries they had that led to the loss to the Dallas Stars and you say, okay, well, I mean, the chances of that happening again are pretty remote. They add Brandon Saad, they add Devon Taves. Um, so, you know, a, a very good forward core gets even better. A very good defense core gets even better. And, you know, you talk about internal competition, you know, like they still have Bowen Byram in the system, a tremendous puck mover, but now once again, you have Kale McCarr, Samuel Girard, and now Devon Taves on that back end. They kept their, you know, they kept Andre Burakovsky, so they didn't lose a lot of guys that way. You know, the only question for me is, you know, is Philip Grubauer a Stanley Cup goaltender? You know, he didn't really get a chance to prove that, you know, because he got hurt in the postseason. So, you know, they have a couple of RFAs they still need to sign. I don't think it's going to be a problem there. But I, my only question for them now is, you know, when they get to the 2021 playoffs, is Philip Grubauer still their starter or is there some kind of deadline deal they make? You know, I mean, maybe they have the confidence in him and maybe they think he can be that guy. I mean, we saw Anton Kudobin take a team to the final. Um, but I like, all the, I, I like all the other elements that Colorado has right now. I don't think there's any question when it comes to their skaters they're bulletproof yeah and i'm with you that's my pick right now as well and for the for many of the same reasons you said and you know even just when brandon Saad is now like one of your depth guys that was the thing like colorado two years ago had the boston problem of being top heavy and being a one-line team and now that's no longer their identity at all you know that valerie chushkin had such a breakout season as a defensive forward and nazim kadri was such a good fit under burkowski had the best season of his career now you're adding Saad, a guy with multiple stanley cup rings is just a depth piece who can be a good voice in the room and just you know has been in all those deep waters before and still pretty good defensively, pretty good skater as well. Uh, and then Devin Taves, and it, was, it wasn't an offer sheet, so that's good, I guess, for the Islanders, but you knew that someone like Taves or Pulik was going to get stolen from the Islanders because they just can't afford to pay all those RFAs. And Colorado, with that cap space muscle, they were able to flex. They just look so dominant. And I, I think Grubauer is the question. It's, it looks like the, 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 the Avalanche are going to give him an entire season, just one more shot, or at least an entire regular season, because... For, for many spurts, he's been quite good for them. Uh, but he just hasn't been, you know, that, that Vezina Trophy caliber game-stealing goalie. But I think if you get to the trade deadline by next year and he's not, you know, he's, he's not performing at an elite level, then I could see Colorado wading into the trade rod waters and, and trying to, you know, get the stretch run goaltender. Uh, we're, it's funny, we're humming along here without Ken. Like, we're just blasting through this podcast. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to go to some listener mailbag. Maybe we'll add a surprise bonus question. Uh, because we have the time. So the first question is, is from Joe with the Vikings. And Joe asks, are the Senators looking like a legit playoff team this year? I would say, Joe, you've got to pump the brakes a little bit. It's exciting. Uh, and I've said that I think they're going to be better than expected. They're just amassing more and more exciting young players. And they add Tim Stutzel and, and Jake Sanderson. It's so exciting what they're doing. Um, but I think you have to look at the big picture. And you look at that, that blue line. I, I don't see Sanderson as someone who's going to go right to the NHL. It's pretty rare for a defenseman. And, you know, you have maybe Eric Brandstrom's going to make the leap and, and be a full-time NHLer next season. You have Thomas Shabbat. But then it's like Eric Branson. Like, you know, he, he, 
I want to be nice, but he doesn't make your blue line better. And it's, you have Mike Riley, Nikita Zaitsev. It's kind of a replacement level type of decor of bottom pair types. And even Matt Murray, you're getting Matt Murray, but he played for a team that the Penguins were very good defensively last year. They had the fifth lowest expected goals against Ottawa had the 23rd lowest. So Murray had a bad season with good defense in front of him. What's going to happen with bad defense in front of him, or at least young, inexperienced overall team? I don't know. So I, I think it's too, it's too hyperbolic to say the Sens are going to be a playoff team. I do think they could surprise, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're like, they finished sixth in the Atlantic division. But what do you think, Ryan? I agree with you. I, the, to me, this is just nah. Like, no, Ottawa is not ready yet. You know, Sanderson's going to be, at, he's already at the University of North Dakota. That's where he was on draft night. He's going to play, you know, for the Fighting Hawks. You know, uh, Tim Stutzel, he actually just sustained a, a really bad arm injury. Um, so even if he was, and, and I had even heard that he, you know, based on, you know, where he is with the DEL, he might not have been even able to come over here this year might've been next season, but now he's got an arm injury that's going to keep him out until basically the cusp of the world juniors. Um, so you figure like maybe he plays in that tournament, but the idea of him contributing to Ottawa right away, I think that's kind of a non-starter right now. Um, so you're still looking at the future. I, I agree with you. I think they're going to be a, like a scrappy team. They're, they're, they're not going to be fun to play every night. I think this is the year where, you know, guys like Thomas Shabbat and Brady Kachuk really become the cornerstones of the franchise. Like Shabbat's already there. He's a huge minute muncher. But in terms of taking over the culture of the team, I think this is their time. And that's what this year is going to be about. It's going to be about those guys solidifying their voices in the dressing room, solidifying their roles as the foundational pieces for Ottawa. And you, you start to see what can Eric Brandstrom do? What can Josh Norris do at the NHL level? Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be an exciting year for the Senators. I think they're going to have some games where they, um, they catch some teams by surprise, and that'll be very fun for the fans. But in terms of sustained success, I don't think they're there yet. Yeah, I, th I agree. And I think they're definitely going to be a really fun team to watch. It's kind of how I felt about the New York Rangers going into last season. So not necessarily high expectations, but just excited to see their, their brand of play because they're, they've, they're just injecting a lot of talent. Uh, the next question is this from Mark. Calls himself Mark on Twitter because that's his name. And Mark says, what team will be a surprise playoff seed this year? Well, I'm going to take some points that Ryan already made earlier about the Montreal Canadiens, and they're the team that I'm getting feeling about. Uh, you know, they weren't good in the regular season. They were the 24th overall seed, but obviously they beat Pittsburgh. And, you know, the, what I said about acquiring Josh Anderson before, when I said this online last week, I think it was a bad trade. I think they the signing, they, they didn't get enough for Max Domi, who's younger, plays a more premium position. They paid way too much for Josh Anderson. It was like a spit take type of contract. It reminds me of the David Clarkson deal. That's all true. But what can also be true is that Josh Anderson does make them better right now, which I think he does. And like you said, Ryan, what Montreal needed the most was help on the wings. They needed size and scoring. They got size with Anderson. They got scoring in Tyler Toffoli. You've got Alexander Romanov, who should make the team now on that blue line and I think is a legitimate Calder Trophy candidate. Nick Suzuki way ahead development-wise on his schedule. And even Kanyemi showed a lot in the playoffs last year or in the postseason this past year. So, and then again, you've got Carey Price back there in net to, as sort of the anchor of all of this. So I'm getting a feeling about the Habs. And I, if, again, I don't want to make it an official prediction because, you know, we start 
doing our, our, our Hockey News yearbook and our pool guide, you get more of a look at every roster. But right now, off the top of my head, I, I think I like Montreal as the third best team in the Atlantic Division. I think I'm going to put them ahead of Toronto. We'll see if I feel that way in a couple more weeks. But that is my surprise playoff seed. Ryan, who do you have? I'm going to stick in that division, but I'm going to go with the Florida Panthers, a team that was pretty close to being an actual playoff team. You know, I know they made the qualifying round, but, you know, they were almost an actual playoff team. And I really like what Bill Zito's done this offseason. I'll also, also say, while I think of it, I really like what Tom Fitzgerald has done in New Jersey. I think those two new GMs have been very similar where they've taken advantage of other teams needing to offload players and salary. I think they've been very good in that regard. And, you know, I'll stick with Florida, you know, getting Alexander Venberg for kind of pennies on the dollar because he was bought out by Columbus. Um, And, you know, like now we know Yarmo Kekalainen, the GM with the Blue Jackets said, like they were basically protecting from a Pierre-Luc Dubois offer sheet. So that was part of the reason they had to buy out Venberg. Um, So Venberg goes to Florida. He can be, uh, you know, a defensive center, which is um, basically what he's become uh, in a great penalty killer because they already have Barkov as their number one scoring center. They don't need that. Radko Gudis, um, you know, a good depth defenseman that, that makes them tougher to play against. And then I also think that, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky in net, he can't be any worse. You know, we can only go up from here. We know that he has the backing of Bill Zito. They know each other from their days in Columbus. So you figure if Sergei Bobrovsky can be even marginally better, that's another win or two in the standings. And then with Venberg and Gudis, I think that helps um, solidify a roster that has some nice high-end elements and they get, they have some kids coming up. So I think Florida could be a surprise. Interesting points. And, you know, it's funny because Bobrovsky, he does have a history of bouncing back after, after bad years. And, and Venberg, what I like about that signing is that, you know, Eric Hall is gone and you don't want to, you don't want to force Henrik Borgstrom up the lineup. It looks like uh, Gregory Denisenko and Owen Tippett are going to make the team. Borgstrom, it's not as much of a guarantee, but I like the fact now you got competition between him maybe and Venberg to climb that into that second or third line center, that middle six role, which is, I think is always a good thing. Like I said earlier, you've got to create competition for the youngsters to earn their spots. But for me, the Panthers, they're on my never again list every year, every <laughs> damn year. I say the Panthers are going to break out and they've embarrassed me too many times. So Florida Panthers, I'm telling you, I'm quitting you because sure. I've picked you as my breakout team so many years in a row and you've hurt my feelings. So I'm out, I'm out on the right. Panthers, which means they're going to win the Stanley cup. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now Ernie Morris asks, why do top free agents shun the Columbus Blue Jackets? This is an organization that has been to the playoffs four straight years and has solid leadership and Yarmo Kekalainen makes more good moves than bad. It's an interesting question for sure. And I don't know the specific answer because I haven't ever heard anything bad about playing in Columbus. And even, you know, I was on the zoom with Max Domi last week and he was saying really great things. His best friends are really close friends with Josh Anderson. Anderson has already had already taken him for a tour of because like, I guess it's really close to Ohio State, I believe. And that's sort of, where it's based. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're getting a tour of the campus, and and he really liked it. So people who play there really seem to enjoy it. And I don't think it's a John Tortorella thing because even though Tortorella has that tough guy reputation, he doesn't have a bad reputation with players, in my opinion. It's more players like to play for him, and it might be for a short period, but they, he gives them that run through a wall type of feeling. I think maybe it's just a reflection of the market, you know, and I was just looking it up because I was curious. And, and, and if you look at the major pro sports, it's the 34th biggest TV market 
uh, in the U.S. So it's not like you're playing in a glitz and glamour situation and it's Ohio State town. That's sort of the stars. They're bigger stars than the hockey players in Columbus, I, I believe. So maybe it's just it's too anonymous, even though the players who play there, they end up loving it. That would be my guess, but I don't really know the answer. Well, and what I would say is I think there's some lag time between when a franchise becomes successful and when the rest of the league pays attention. Like if you're a player, you probably didn't think of Columbus as legit until maybe even this season because yeah, they upset Tampa Bay, you know, they sweep them. One of the greatest upsets of all time in the playoffs. If you're an NHL player, you look at that and you say, wow, that was pretty surprising. Was it a fluke? Did Tampa just kind of like fall apart? Not sure. Then you go to this season and you say, oh, okay, well, you know, Columbus, pretty, they're a pretty tough outfit. So I think that there's a lag time where if you're, if you're an NHL player and you're not, you, you haven't played for Columbus, you are only now saying, okay, they've got something real there. You know, I would play for torts. You know, it, it seems like a good city. Um, They've definitely got some talent. You know, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a rising star. You know, Seth Jones, obviously, is a rising star, Zach Wierenski. So now I think we're going to start seeing it. Like, you know, maybe next season you'll see more guys say, okay, I, I want to get in on what Columbus has. And, and what might be interesting is how Miku Koivu fares in Columbus. You know, I mean, obviously this guy in the at the very end of his career – but he's looking to make one last stand. And if Columbus can win a round or two in the playoffs, um, I think that's going to legitimize them even further. But I think these things take longer than the average person would expect because hockey players as a whole tend to be very conservative and they tend to have preconceived notions. You know, I remember even years ago talking to players saying like, you know, why doesn't anybody want to go to Buffalo? And they'd be like, oh, well, we always always stayed at this one hotel that was awful. It's like, oh, okay, well, I mean, that was one hotel and the teams don't stay there anymore. You know, they have like two brand new Marriott's. But for players, they only remember those snapshots and it takes a while to get sort of unmoored from that anchor bias. I, I think it's going to start to happen, but it's it takes longer than you would expect. Good points. And it's funny, you're talking about Columbus there and I'm like, I, I suddenly got a little like hot take, you know, like the angel and devil on your shoulder. I have a little like hot take leprechaun like on my shoulder being like, you should pick Columbus to go to the Stanley Cup. Like, <laughs> Maybe like, I don't know. I, you know, they're, they're type of team that's built for the playoffs. And I'm like, am I going to pick Col Columbus, Colorado as my Stanley Cup? I don't know. It's not they're Islanders esque. They're one yeah. of those teams where it's like, this is not a fun series to play. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I got to, I'm getting that kind of, feeling right now. So I got to think about that one. We're going to do, because we're moving pretty quickly, we're going to do one more question that Steven sent us. And this is from uh, at water, Walter Maselli does Capocaco finally play in the Rangers top six. Well, he's got the opportunity because Jesper Fast is gone uh, to Carolina, right? And Jesper Fast, underrated player, beloved player on the team. Um, but there's less depth on the right side in New York. You have Pavel Buknevich, but it's really, it's the left that's loaded up because you've got Artemi Panarin and Chris Kreider and now Alexi Lafreniere playing on the left side. So I do think the fact that Kapokak was on the right side, it bodes well. And I, th I think that he's kind of a forgotten man right now. You know, that team has quickly become pretty star-studded and 
Kako is only a year removed from people thinking like, you know, he's a coin flip from Jack, with Jack Hughes. And he's, I know, I remember talking to his coaches, uh, his world junior coach and his, his uh, Finnish league coach. And they were saying that at, at his age, he was as good as any player they'd ever seen, like better than Michael Granlin at that age, better than Sasha Barkov at that age, uh, or, or Saku Koivu, not just Miko, Saku Koivu. Uh, so the potential is there. And I, I do think this is a year that maybe, especially with Lafreniere in town, there's a lot less pressure on, on Kako. So I, I think he can earn his way up that depth chart. And eventually you're going to have to watch out for Vitaly Kravtsov as well, who also can play the right wing. Um, but Ryan, do you agree? Is there someone that I'm kind of overlooking on that right side? No, I, I think that you're looking at Kako as, uh, let's call him a middle six winger for, for this upcoming season. I, I think the fact that they don't need him to be a star right away is very beneficial because he is still so young, still getting used to North America and the, the style over here. Um, I, I think he, like, obviously he has top line potential, but the Rangers don't need him to be that right away. And I, I think it's a good situation where he can earn his stripes and, you know, you sort of let the chips fall where they may. All right. Well, that will conclude the listener mailbag section. So now we're going to move on to the rapid fire game. And Ryan has gotten the hosting duty back. I don't know what's coming. I'm nervous. But the game can begin whenever you're ready, Ryan. You should. All right, rapid fire. And this, this is going to be rapid fire. All right. This is, this is going back to the original. All right. First off, Pac-Man or Centipede? Pac-Man. All right, I'm a centipede guy, so I'm going to go there. Uh, would you rather be Calgary or Edmonton right now for the upcoming season? I think Edmonton, you got to bet on McDavid and Drysaddle and hope they sort out that goaltending, which is still woof, woof, woof. Yeah, I'm going Calgary for that exact reason. I'd rather have Markstrom versus Smith or Koskinen. Uh, Wu-Tang is for who? Forever. Mother effort for the children, but oh. forever is not bad either. Uh, who's going to have a better season, Jonathan Taves or Devon Taves? Oh, well, hard. You know, apples to oranges, different positions. Uh, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say Devon Taves. I think Jonathan Taves' spirit's broken. He's pretty upset about the roster decisions that Colorado's made so far, or, or Chicago. I agree. I'm going to go with Devon Taves. And finally, worst best picture winner at the Oscars. I did this one especially for you because I know you're a movie guy. Oh, easy crash. It's not close. Green Book is cut from the same crappy cloth. Uh, you know, fake, fake racism fable that's actually really heavy handed and just terrible. Crash is uh, what probably the consensus worst best picture winner 2005 worst of all time. Mm, I'm gonna go with Forrest Gump. Pulp Fiction was robbed. Rapid fire done. <laughs> Excellent rapid fire. It was rapid. It was more rapid than the previous ones. Probably because Ken was not involved. We still miss you, Kenny, and we'll be back next week with more off-season talk. Thank you for listening and watching. <laughs>